in a world where we fail to grasp the intrinsic link between private property and estrangement, where the worker becomes poorer, the more wealth for others she creates. One adorable bear and his cranky lady comrade are the grave diggers of the ruling class. Together, they'll smother history's class antagonisms and your heart. It's Knackers and the Vag. Special birthday edition. Comrades, siblings, workers of all nations. As it's so flipping cold here in the shadow of late capitalism, we thought we'd light a few candles to keep our diminishing will and our shared hope for a future of abundance warm. 200 candles because, yes, on this very date, two centuries ago, a lady by the name of Henriette, possibly Henriette, expelled a sensation named Carl from her body. Yes, go, go, Marxie. It's your birthday. I'm going to riot like it's your birthday. Won't stay quiet on your birthday because we seize the means of the production on your birthday. Oh, God, that was awful, wasn't it, knackers? Anyway, <coughs> hello. This is clearly an amateur recording produced at a rented suburban home in Australia on May 5, 2018. My name is The Vag. I am a human lady of a certain age. My co-host here, right here, you can you can you can hear him is Knackers, a small plush bear full of what sounds like synthetic beans and certainly of undocumented origin. The bear sadly cannot speak, but he does serve as a visual reminder to me, your dreadful hostess, to stick to a point and not to become too attached to whatever takes my fancy as I talk, talk, talk into this unwilling hard drive, failing to make sense to myself or to you or to this poor dear little bear of a world whose institutions, which all exist, as you know, largely in service to the movement of capital, have begun to fail. <clears throat> so, knackers, here we go. Two content warnings before we begin the Karl Marx birthday party. The first is important because it's for new and accidental listeners. There are people led here by deceitful algorithms. And I am very shitting sorry that iTunes has, for the moment, the digital delusion that those who enjoy stories by sassy female entrepreneurs getting ahead in the go-go startup world will also like my Marxist misery. But don't blame me. And it's certainly not the bear's fault that a podcast that begins its every episode with the song of international workers and is visually identified by a communist symbol is mistaken for some sort of saccharine liberal nightmare, may I say, if you normally enjoy podcasts with names like, I don't know, um, brilliant business babes or finance feminist foxes or, 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 or ladies who lunge or whatever, that, that's, that's absolutely fine. If it is your sincere view that the the number one problem with the world is that women don't rule enough of it, good on you, um, maintain your agreeable fantasy that power accorded to just a few, some of them women, would be somehow better than power accorded to just a few men. 
So just get down with your delusion that the liberation of a few meritorious lady creatures will produce the liberation of all somehow and continue to believe with all of your heart that Christine Lagarde and Hillary Clinton have only done good things in power and ignore all of the proof that they have not ignored the body count. Yes, knackers, we're, this is actually Marxist and we're getting to the Marxy point. But anyway, I think we can all agree that when sassy sisters are in power, it's all hay bales to a soundtrack written by Annie DeFranco or Arnie around the world. This does remind me, and I'm sorry, knackers, I'll try to make this the last diversion. An associate, a very nice lady, took me to see Annie DeFranco last time she was in Melbourne, Australia, from where this podcast emanates, and it was kind of hilarious. I mean, not because I just genuinely find the righteous babe, Annie DeFranco, hilarious and her music dreadful, but I really, really did enjoy the view of the, the audience itself, largely um, conspicuously lesbian and largely flinching every time Annie mentioned that she was um, back on the solids, aka then in love with a bloke. My lesbian associate remarked that it was like they were all sticking their fingers in their ears and singing la, la, la every time she mentioned this this marriage, actual marriage to a cis man, nothing to do at all with the birthday of Carl, but is something I wanted to share nonetheless because because there is a point, the willingness we all have, whoever we are, to believe in and uphold a myth is is quite human. And I'm guilty often of of, of fantasy. For the longest time I believed that the television program Mad Men was a searing critique of the dawn of late capitalism. And then I read an interview with its creator, Matthew uh, Weiner, and he said that it really wasn't and that he thought that the Coca-Cola rad from 1970, which he ended the whole series with, was wonderful because it it featured diverse people drinking Coca-Cola at some encounter centre for new age seekers of mindfulness and that that was a really great moment in the history of Western culture, so fuck you, Matthew, but fuck me too for being deluded, you know, and thinking that Mad Men was all about changing the world. I did like the outfits though. Okay, Nakers, okay, okay. Um, you know, the, the Western world seems to be full of turds who mistake the victories of the few for those of the many. Um, but then again, who am I to tell you that nearly every book about girls and their magnificent uh, power and their and their fight to make it in the boardroom slash media published in English in the last few years is shallow, anti-intellectual, ruling class identified self-help santorum, which has absolutely no problem with the accumulation of wealth and power, so long as a few women are accumulating their unequal share of it because they're so amazing. Fucking. And, and 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 I don't understand how people don't get that equality is not a matter of diverse distribution of power. If that power remains unequal, and for the sake of sour teddy bears, um, not you, Nackers, obviously, feminism is not your free pass to political purity. You're not brave just because you call yourself a feminist, or especially a feminist of the kind of feminism as it is commonly misunderstood by the Apple algorithm, obviously, and twits and politicians as somehow the the undeniable key to justice. It's 
in its popular iteration, the key only to redecorating the luxury liner of disaster capitalism to blind us from the iceberg approaching. It's a rationale for the ruling class, whose first-class deck chairs may soon have their identities rearranged closer to the lifeboats, while we, the many, serve their interests. And it just doesn't seem to matter to some people if if the poverty and the, the everyday misery of the masses and, and, and the hatred and the estrangement from humanity itself, people of all classes experience in their jobs or in their underemployed days. It just, I mean, it's, where, where was I going with this, Nackers? I mean, look, it's just, it's just total bullshit. So long as there are more successful women, the world will be better. No, it won't. I mean, stuff successful women. And, and F the fact that this great abundance that we have in the world now, which is being built by people of every sort, is not a success shared by all. It, it just, just pork it in all of its gaping holes of logic, and especially in those holes which mistake themselves as, as bleeding heart outlets for compassion. But, you know, really this, this self-reflecting ruling class feminism, it's just a new way to reproduce the ruling ideas. The ideas of the ruling class in every age are the ruling ideas that's a quote from Birthday Boy, so I think it's from the German ideology. Well, that's one content warning. We'll get to some marks uh, now and a second much shorter content warning. I don't have a guest. Having said that, I do have plans to have guests in the future and I actually did record something with a, a noble, notable and eloquent musician and writer of musicals, the very great Melbourneian Eddie Perfect. Got it on my uh, SD card. Unfortunately, I got a bit smashed and that podcast is four hours long and is mostly a record of me telling Eddie how awesome and attractive his partner Lucy is, which is actually true, but kind of boring if you haven't met Lucy. So it's going to take a while for me to cut it up because you can't just – I can't expect you to listen to me on the source, and um, I would rather that you have something to hear from Eddie because he talks about writing music, seeking to write music or make works that evoke and involve a nation, Australia, that is us, me, this is the landmass, that is the name that refers to the landmass, yet to address its foundational act of racism. And that's what he talks about, but I have to edit all the bits with me talking about his wife out. So it will take a week or perhaps a year or so. And, and do have a listen because Eddie, as you may know, is is quite something. And one of the very few white Australian performers, I think, who can see a little glimpse of Australia beyond its white mythology. Also coming up quite soon, my friend Jack Lattimore, who is the founder of the Australian publication and social media presence Indigenous X, and an excellent reporter on Aboriginal affairs and um, basically an adorable chap, a uh, beer pie man who looks at his own life with the sort of fearless objectivity I can only envy. And, and one of our nation's top silks has foolishly agreed, not by contract, of course, uh, to talk. That is um, Julian Burnside, the 
QC and they don't make those anymore, a refugee advocate and a guy that basically I think um, became a barrister and a protester because he just loves to argue and also injustice gives him the shits. Um, work has led me to spend a little time with Julian re- reporting about him um, and even though he and I disagree on many matters, especially when it comes to the usefulness of debate, um, he's much more optimistic about the the tools of the enlightenment and the power to persuade than me because I don't actually believe that I've persuaded anyone of anything ever and I am deeply conscious that I am just blathering into a vacuum and largely to a bear. But, of course, Julian is much better at argument than me so perhaps he has changed some minds. Um, anyway, I'm pretty sure that um, you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say he has a will, an optimistic will, warmed and illuminated by not quite the sort of celebration I said we'd have today because, I, you know, despite my trying, you know, Burnside's not a Marxist, but you know, a girl can <laughs> perhaps by the power of debate I can convince him. Gee, it's been, um, what, knackers apparently three hours and already we're still at content warnings. Anyway, I think they're over. Um, uh, if you fell asleep, sorry, the content warnings, again, very important. One, sorry if you got here by accident. I'm not going to teach you to lean fucking in. And sorry, no guest, because I drank too much Prosecco when my last guest, Eddie Perfect, a, a, a chap currently writing the the songs for King Kong the Musical, can you believe, and also Beetlejuice the Musical, can you believe that I actually have somehow acquired the telephone number of a guy about to fucking do it to Broadway? I can't either. This is, you know, if you are a young uh, or emerging communicator, can I just say you would be quite surprised by the people who say, yes, I'll come and talk to you if you ask them. I mean, obviously, I mean, Knackers is a huge draw card because guests get to hold the bear and he is an adorable bear. But, you know, people who have a lot of things to say that you might find quite interesting, there is a good chance you might find that they are interested to talk to you. Always stunned by the people who agree to talk to me. Because I'm um, Meshuggah and I do go on and it is the birthday of Carl and what can I say here but maybe if you haven't encountered any of his work ever, you could, oh, well, you couldn't read a book I wrote on the topic. Um, And if you're too skint to buy one, I mean, I I do want money to survive but I feel vile asking for it. But if you are are too skint to buy one, you could email me at helen at badhostess.com and I'll send you one in the fullness of time. I'm pretty bad with going to the post office, basic tasks of daily hygiene, remembering my middle name, what year it is, all that sort of stuff. But I do eventually get around to, oh, oh, those two lovely ladies in Perth who were recently, one of you was recently having a big zero birthday except that was three months ago and I said I would send you a special something, I will get around to it. I'm, oh, fuck, I'm awful. Anyway, my book is called Total Propaganda. You know, you don't have to do that. Why not just listen to something available at no cost, The Communist Manifesto, 
this weekend, the weekend of Carl, Carl, Carl. So you can listen to the audiobook of Communist Manifesto on Marxists.org, which is actually done by somebody with an Australian accent. And as you know, can be very difficult one to listen to, uh, you know, even for us Australians. But believe, I mean, ugh, it's a bizarre accent. I am, I am in fact aware that I have an accent. Or you could go to YouTube or many places and just listen to these. I think it's about seventeen thousand words that make up the Communist Manifesto. It's so it's it's not that long. It's just an hour or two. And you can listen to it as you, I don't know, pull some weeds or do the dishes or stare at the ceiling, what have you, and permit yourself to be seduced for just a bit. Marx wasn't quite 30 when he wrote the Manifesto of the Communist Party with Fred Engels. And um, if you have the idea that the manifesto is just too basic or not the proper place to understand the complexity of Marx, well, look, seriously, fuck it. It is actually true um, I mean, if you think that it's too complicated for you, you're wrong. It's not. If you can tolerate 30 seconds of me, you will certainly find two hours with Marx in Communist Manifesto form entirely endurable. I, not, not a bad writer. It's, um, and so if you think it's too complex, you're wrong. If you think it's too basic and you want to start somewhere more complex, I also want to say that you might be wrong because it's, you know, it's absolutely true that the thing was written to be widely understood and that some of us, if we encounter it at that age, we're able to read and understand it quite young. I bumped into my first copy of it when I was 15 and I wasn't a particularly precocious kid and, you know, it read like a really good story. And some of the stuff sunk in, you know, sure, okay, I might have left it alone for about 25 years and become a, you know, middling liberal, but, you know, I came good in the end, didn't I, just in time for menopause, fantastic. But, it, you know, even if it is a thing that you've already read or you were, you're forced to read it at school or if you've been warned off reading it um, or you think like some kind of hipster that it's just too popular to be any good, and it is has been immensely popular. I think it's the most translated and printed and read political document of all time, which is quite something when we consider the fact of all time and we consider that the fucking Ayn Rand Foundation gives away copies of its barely literate, ultra-liberal cruelty free. Give it some time this weekend. Marxists.org, good place for all those sorts of resources. Actually, turn my rod off right now and go and listen to the Communist Manifesto. Read it if you want, but you know, audiobooks are great, right? Or, you know, if you're going to stick around for a minute, yes, snackers, we're getting to some really Marxy shit now for the birthday. Let me try to just read a little bit of it for you. comes quite early in a sensible voice. So early on um, in the manifesto, our boys say that the history of all large-scale human society is the history of class struggle. What this means is that there's, there have long been the few who own the things that permit most of humanity to survive. And then there's the many who labour for these owners in order to survive. And I really like this bit. Okay, so it's a bit antique, a little old-timey, but just it's very nice and it gives you a sense of a lot of the rhythm of the Communist Manifesto as well, which is another reason that I recommend you listen to it as an audio book. 
Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended, either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large or in the common ruin of the contending classes. ACTU, try and write a pamphlet like that, really. Anyway, so what we um, learn here is that the history of the West and really now the history of, of the planet, no corner of which is untouched by capitalism, has been formed by two opposing groups and the, the very survival of human beings has been formed. This history has all been made by two opposing groups for, for the longest time, those who owned labour and those whose labour was owned, which probably includes you. The thing that tickled my teenage fancy and still gets me as a grown-up today, this bit of it where it says the class war is uninterrupted but it is a now hidden, now open fight. This is, this is history and this is our historic tendency, right? To be able to see some power very nakedly, you know, of course lords and serfs, of course we can see that power. But, you know, and today, you know, liberal feminists, and good on them, they can see and they articulate that, that some men retain uh, their, their primacy in the workplace through, through foul threats or, or, or vulgar acts of physical or verbal coercion. Or just about everyone can see US power in an obscene way in the form of Donald Trump you know, in all his unclad filth and, frankly, all of the unclad filth of the USA. You know, so, right, we're still talking about the hidden and open thing. So, you know, Donald Trump, awful man, obviously. He calls some nations shitholes. Do you remember that? Whereas his predecessors wouldn't, they just made these nations shitholes and pretended in public to respect them. So this... This thing, this Marxism thing, encouraged me to see power that I might have just sort of sensed um, in, 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 you know, an instinctive way, instinct understood, um, not as necessarily something um, natural, but my brain arriving at a conclusion without me knowing or understanding the logic that that, that got it there. Right? This will make sense in a minute. So now hidden, now open. It's not a great deal of trouble to see brute power, right? The Lord and the Surf. Oh, you know, we use feudal as an insult. Now, there is quite an argument that um, the serfs of the, the, the feudal epoch actually had a much nicer life than many workers in the West today. Why am I laughing at that now? Because I don't know, because I've gone crazy because it's Carl's birthday. So it's, it can be great trouble to see power, especially when power makes every effort to conceal itself. And when I was a young person, that now hidden, now open thing, you know, it's still power, but it's there. It might be hiding. Have a look for it. The idea about now hidden, now open struggles sort of, well, I began to understand it within my experience of, of school, which was basically most of my life experience then. 
So I had one English teacher who, you know, he's the real kind of classic drama teacher kind that was sort of like rife in the <laughs> in the 1980s. I mean, you know, I don't think they'd be permitted now, at least I hope not. Um, but, you know, he wrote his own poetry and he spoke of um, liberation and um, <clears throat> he encouraged female students to um, massage him. And the the next year, another English teacher who was just out now old-fashioned authoritarian, um, and she made me stick not only to a very strict pro- program of reading but a very strict program of interpretation. It was like, you know, Macbeth, which, you know, back in my day anyway, everyone used to do in high school. There's only certain things you're permitted to say about it. There's only certain interpretations, which is ridiculous because, you know, these teachers go on and on and on about how Shakespeare is for the ages and universal. But if that is the case, you know, how can the how can the the, the, the message not be um, not have new interpretations applied to it anyway? Yes, I did go on to do English at bloody university in the 1990s. That's why I'm such an occasional wanker. So much to answer for the English departments of the 1990s. Anyway, so both teachers annoyed me. Actually, the authoritarian teacher. A little less, because they both seem to me to be taking a very inflexible approach to their teaching. And English was the only subject that that I had any interest in back then and for years. So I disliked being coerced into learning just one interpretation of things. And that interpretation was, you know, the the golden treasury of English fucking verse interpretation by my authoritarian teacher. The more apparently modern, let's um, be you and me and be ourselves and touch ourselves and touch each other and, you know, hippie convention, what have you. And both of those uh, approaches to life interpretation of texts annoyed me. And even though, you know, this uh, apparently free teacher who, you know, was wildly sexist, but, I mean, say, like, let's cut out the sexism from the scenario, it was this really enforced idea of liberation, like be free in this particular way. This passage about the now-open, now-hidden fight between classes and, you know, everybody feels some sense of, class struggle in school, right, because you know when you're a student that you're powerless. It made me think, yes, both both of these teachers have power. The guy who writes his own poetry and makes us listen to it, and I can't remember much of it, but there was one verse which was clearly a portrayal of an English teacher, possibly the authoritarian English teacher, and it began, she has a mind like a calculator, and then it said some stuff about how she probably didn't listen to Leonard Cohen or whatever. So, you know, It was just a newer version of the older power that, you know, the older teacher who wanted me to respond to John Donne or Shakespeare or whatever in the same way millions of other English students had before me. This was just a new convention that wasn't really leading me to freedom but this very narrow, hippie, quite apolitical idea of freedom, which was, you know, they did have these inappropriate sexual undertones for a young lady of my age. So the point is for, I really, I do go on, um, but the point is for your own life if it is lived within a, uh, a Western-style liberal democracy, whether the power is held, uh, whether the power held is 
immediately perceptible to you or not, you still, if you want to think in a Marxy way, you still have to think about the power. That doesn't mean, you know, like thinking about it at all times and giving yourself a great amount of guilt about, you know, am I enacting power? Am I exploiting somebody? Am I thinking bad thoughts? I mean, get a Christ, I do that all the time anyway, as both my therapists will tell you. But think about power in this very simple way. Who owns your labour and your time and, and your life? Who owns the lives, even sometimes the entire bodies of others? Why do we permit ourselves to champion acts of apparent freedom, say like the lyrics of Leonard Cohen? I mean, you know, I don't mind Leonard Cohen. I just mind the fact that this, you know, hippie English teacher liked him. So, you know, whether it's, you know, hippie music, let's say, or some half-assed Samantha B buzzing with the shocking news that the US president is doing terrible things, just as though not all US presidents have done terrible things, particularly since the time of World War II. So why, you know, think about that kind of power when you could consider the real source and the real work of power? And that is the thing about this um, 200-year-old who answers, you know, with Fred, let's give Fred his due, answers this question in, in various ways, especially in the early part of his life. He addresses contemporary questions like why we believe bullshit and why, say, we can excuse all of the, 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 the murders for which Barack Obama is responsible and spend so much time not even counting the murders for which Donald Trump is responsible, but asking instead why he uses such disrespectful language. You know, why does he call a nation a shithole? Why is that more vulgar? Why is that more obscene to us than the fact of uh, invading a country or imposing sanctions on a country or, you know, actively working to make that country a shithole for your own gain? And, you know, with Trump, you know, look, sure, I mean, I'm not Vladimir Putin's girlfriend. I don't know how long I'd, I'd, I'd last in Moscow. You know, so no, oh, Russia, 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 it's wonderful here. But why are we so concerned about, say, Donald Trump's links with Russia, which are, you know, yet unproven? And why do we choose not to see the very open fact, actually open if you care to look, of his Israeli links, particularly via his son-in-law? If there is collusion Look to Netanyahu, look look to Kushner. And if there are those who truly suffer because of this apparently unbreakable alliance between Israel, which is now very open, this alliance between Israel and, and the US, then look to Palestine. I, I want to be very careful here and say in, in no way is this a critique of uh, the... the the right of Jewish people to a homeland. Um, it's not even anti-Zionist. It's certainly not anti-Semitic. What what it is is look to fucking Palestine seriously, and 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 look to Israel, and look how aggressive that actor is, and look how intimate and how openly intimate 
Israel and the USA are. And, you know, Trumpy is just such a a curious moment, a curious time between times. He doesn't even bother to conceal it. And he's not bothering to conceal it. And he is telling the truth about what has occurred between the, the US and Israel. And, you know, we're starting to see more of the truth about what has occurred between the US and Saudi. And then perplexingly, the fact that Saudi and Israel are apparently getting on, right? I mean, so it's not about faith, kids. It's about power. And you can see that power if you look, but or you can choose to keep looking at, you know, Russia linked, Russia linked, Russia linked. But you stop with the Russia, okay, so much. Like, allow yourself one, oh. Russia a week and then have a little think about Israel and then have a little think about our comrades in Palestine and also our our, our comrades in in Israel who don't especially you know younger um Israelis younger Jewish Israelis you know they don't like what's happening enough let me just say i have had my eurovision a little bit ruined this year Okay, we'll leave it at that. Yes, Trumpy, vile, put public speech into a latrine. But the the bigger thing here is that, that history has done, keeps on doing what it always has uh, has always done in unequal societies, whether they're, you know, like a slave society or a feudal society or capitalism, the thing that we have now. Any society where the few determine the fate and the survival of the many, it carries on an uninterrupted now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large or in the common ruin of the contending classes. So in this time, our time, I mean our time knackers, the the thought of Marx and of Engels is useful because this is a time where different People, different classes of people are thinking about power or seeing power in various ways. You know, they're seeing power without any clothes on. Let me think about fake news. You know, there's two kinds of people that say fake news and, you know, you, you might laugh at both of them. Um, you might laugh at them because when they say fake news, they think Breitbart or what what have you is is not fake news, that it's real news. And, of course, you know, they're wrong about Breitbart being being real or being some kind of, you know, truth bomb or even, you know, a useful adversary to mainstream media. But they are as right about other things being fake, you know, say The Guardian or The New York Times or The, the Washington Post or CNN or M- MSNBC. And, you know, can I say a lot of news on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation at the moment, there's still some fantastic correspondence, you know, about, I mean, fucking good riddance to Yulman, jeez. You know, I mean, there's still some very, very good people there. But, I mean, what we get a lot of the time is, well, okay, maybe not fake, misleading news, right? Whatever the new alt-right source of wanking is, I, I don't even know if Breitbart bright bright still meaningfully exists. So, you know, you don't need to think of it as maybe fake news. It could be based on facts, right? But it appeases a certain view. So this whole Marx's birthday thing, it's just an opportunity to give you some tools that I think may be helpful even psychologically to you, if if not to motor the revolutionary force, eh, knackers of the future. It's not to venerate the man. It's to 
give you some cause for, for optimism. So if you use some of this weekend or some of the future year to kind of, you know, just dip your toe into some Marxist understanding, you can move away from the sort of antagonism um, where, you know, it's like your news is fake, no, yours is, and see both forms of news as as tools of deception. Now, I'm aware that I might sound like a conspiracy theory crank and before my social media carer took my Facebook password off me at my request, I would write sort of long responses or rambling posts in response to the news of the day, the international relations concern of the moment. And people would say, you sound like a conspiracy nutter. You sound, this was, (laughs) I don't know if this young lady knew what an extraordinary insult was, but she said, well, you sound like David Icke. You know, you're saying essentially that there's reptile people. I, I've not really read Ike. David, David Ike, you know, says something about how, you know, there's concealed power. Yes, a Marxist would agree. But a Marxist doesn't agree that it inheres in reptile overlords or whatever excuse the guy is using to say that he hates the Jewish people or whatever it is. Again, I don't know. There seems to be a smell of anti-Semitism in his his work anyway. So, you know, Breitbart, the liberal mainstream media, what, you know, some people refer to as the Clinton media. You know, I mean, I don't think the Clintons have quite as much influence as one would need to control the entire media. It's just that people who work in media delude themselves that the Clintons are worth supporting. I I mentioned that because I saw the other day that Pamela Anderson, and good on you, Pammy, for sticking up for WikiLeaks, but she did use the phrase Clinton-led media. But, you know, I mean, to say that that power inheres in in any particular place or with any particular person is is wrong because, you know, if you start getting into a more Marxist way of understanding, you can move away from the sort of MSNBC versus Breitbart or the uh, Sydney Daily Telegraph versus The Guardian and antagonism. You, you know, you don't need to say, oh, your, your news is fake. No, yours, yours is. You can see them both as tools of deception through the idea of history hinted at in the short passage that I read about before and in seeing that our consciousness, the things in our head, you know, our character are are created in great part by the societies we inhabit, which is to say that we are made by history and we don't make it. We don't make history. History makes us and we will not determine uh, the, the future of history until power is not so concealed, sometimes sometimes open, sometimes hidden, you know, always held by a few. You, you, with Marx, you, you, uh, you might get to say what you may feel in any case by instinct, which is, you know, I don't care about Trump and I don't care about Clinton. What I want is something else, something that, that doesn't exist and that the old uh, struggle, you know, sometimes an open one, sometimes a hidden one, it's just the same struggle and your nice liberal artsy teacher holds the same power as the strictest teacher. The, the problem is the power and that it is held 
by so few. I had have been banging on for a while. I do want to make the point, though, that in looking at power, it, it, it is not about looking at individuals. It is not about finding a source. It is not in imagining that there are six men or women in, in, in the world in, in a room somewhere who wield enormous power, although, of course, there are people who wield enormous power. We, we, we know the names of, of the billionairest of the billionaire class who essentially have, you know, personal wealth equal to that of you know, many smaller, smaller nations and much more international clout than nation states with, you know, a um, $100 billion GDP. So... You do, but it's not about loathing those people. It is about the distribution of power, right? If power is evenly distributed, if our labour and our, our time is not owned, or if we don't live with that daily, then we become very different people, which is kind of opposite to the view that you might already hold or some of your friends might, you know, they say, you know, raise awareness, change people's ideas. If we make people kinder, then the world would be better. Marx inverts that for us and says that the way that we are tends to, you know, as a mass, tends to determine our behaviour and, and our consciousness, right? So. The thing that you need to fight for once you have decided where power is concealed, where it is hidden, and you, you, know, you ask yourself those uh, questions that may appear to you as moral or may appear to you as purely political, um, certainly should appear to you as a, you know, a question of survival, like who has access to what materials and who, who doesn't. When you've asked yourself those questions and and you've honestly answered you know am i happy with an extraordinarily uneven distribution of wealth slash power if you are and i know that there are people honest enough to say that they are you know they will say things like oh well the whole history of the world is a pyramidic struggle and some people are just better and more powerful and all we need to do is make this a nicer place and and guarantee equal opportunity i mean none of that makes makes sense to me. Equal opportunity is not enough. And I mean, who gets to determine excellence? This this view that the market gets to determine excellence? Well, it's, 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 you know, I mean, your liberal feminist will say that it's bullshit because it's like, well, you know, if the market really did that, then there'd be more sassy women in, uh, you know, Silicon Valley C-suites or, or whatever. It's not the point. The point is that we should all own Facebook, right? It, it shouldn't be held by a few, you know, and, and Facebook should not be messing around with, with, with Modi, the Prime Minister of, of India, and from what I understand and have read, an unmitigated fuckwit, both in terms of his harsh uh, neoliberal policy and his racism toward particularly uh, Muslim Indians. I mean, the, the Hindu nationalism stuff is a great embarrassment, I imagine, to many Hindu people. And, I mean, he's just awful. And, you know, so Zuckerberg is talking to Modi about, you know, giving the internet to, to um, people in India. But, of course, the internet will be Facebook. It belongs 
to all of us. It should not be managed by Mark Zuckerberg and, and, and a few. It, nothing against Mark Zuckerberg. Again, clearly a fuckwit. It is against the idea of power itself. It is about this Marxism thing, you know, not depending on the virtue of individual leaders and not crapping on about the vice of individual leaders or business people or, you know, both in the form of the repugnant Donald Trump. It is about building a system together where virtue is part of it, right? That, you know, our tendency to vice, like Marxism is in no way idealistic. Like no, no, no real Marxist will, will say, you know, like I believe that people are really good and, you know, humankind is just amazing. No, it's like, yeah, people are probably, you know, I was born a bit of a fuckwit, I think. You know, I, mean, I have some, like, I, I probably have some congenitally fuckwitted tendencies, right? Let's just say, you know, I, I, I hog the bread, for example, love my carbohydrates. I would be a terrible person in a survival situation because I'd knock you and your baby out for the bread because I love carbohydrates. So, so let's say, you know, that there are some people like Helen who are congenitally fuckwitted, right? And, you know, let's say that there are some people that are congenitally nice. Like, I'm, it's not the point. It doesn't matter, right? It's, the, the point is we must be our own dictators, right? So, yes, the other thing that I wanted to say, because, you know, this has been an all-too-brief uh, meeting between you and I and, yes, sorry, is the darling little bear, which is just like there's no conspiracy. There are minor conspiracies and it's not like, you know, all of the past has been determined and it's certainly not as though our future is determined by, you know, the, the form of power which is governed by the movement of, of capital that, that, that Marx describes. You know, there's a way out of it and there hasn't always been capital to say that capitalism is the most natural expression of, of, of human being when it's existed only really for 400 years and only sort of like meaningfully for 300. You, what were we doing for the, the, the other 10,000 years, for fuck's sake? It's, it's not a conspiracy. And to ask capitalism to display compassion makes as much sense as to ask fossil fuel to not pollute as it is burnt. It's inherent in the thing. I Again, why do I do this thing that probably no one is listening to anymore? I do this because I feel the need for a hobby, you know, <laughs> or I, I have this is all really that the Marxist would say, would dare to say about human nature, right? The capitalist says a lot of things about human nature that we're bound to be like this or we're bound to be like that. Ergo, capitalism and the celebration of excellence and the poverty of some, you know, like Matthew, uh, the poor will always be with us. They say it in the Bible, right, the New Testament. Uh, <sighs> You know, so so they think that there is there are all, all these characteristics of humans. A Marxist does not. A Marxist believes a couple of things about the human person in the so-called state of nature, which can't exist because we are by nature social, right? Prematurely born mammals who 
are socialised into being. That that's just just the way way we are. We will always be social. There is no state of nature. It's impossible. So, what is natural about us? We're social. What is also natural about us? We are productive. We erect structures, plans in our imaginations, and then we make them real. And whether that is a shitty fucking podcast that no one will listen to as a way for me to let off steam and participate in, you know, at like 2 o'clock in the morning, I think it is, alone but with a, a bear in, in my dining room stealing some some time away from selling my labour and just giving a very casual, late-night, ill-informed understanding uh, on the occasion of the birth of a long-dead chap who had some fucking good ideas. The other thing, you know, that he says is that we are naturally productive. We like to make things. So, you know, podcast, uh, a a multi-zone gardening almanac, Wikipedia. You know, there's examples every day of people still doing this and, you know, we want to do this. We want to make things and we make things also with, you know, informed by this social urge. We want to make things that may be of use to others. Clearly I've failed. Ah, fucking enough, Helen. Sorry, knackers. If you're in Melbourne, I will probably not do a a better job of explaining Marx on the occasion of uh, his birthday, a little bit after his birthday at Trades Hall on May 24th, you know, that place in Carlton with some much more serious and seriously revolutionary Marxists about the guy's birthday uh, slash a legacy. And, oh, yes, another date just recently passed, May Day, May the 1st, or International Workers' Day. If you do happen to listen to this rot uh, today, May the 5th, the day that I'm recording it, Ipswich, Cairns, Wollongong, Adelaide and Toowoomba are among the places where there are union-led events for May Day. On the 6th, which is Sunday, Fremantle in Perth, uh, the Gold Coast, Sydney, other places too. Monday in um, Alice, Darwin and Brisbane and on Wednesday is Melbourne. And I'll be marching, but why would I consider supporting a trade union because this is like a Australian Council of a Trade Unions led event and uh, they're, they're calling for support for a campaign they have which is called Change the Rules. And, you know, if you bothered to read the document, why would you only read it because I wanted to write about it for, for you know, like paid labour? It's not full of like core promises. It, it says a lot of very vague stuff about we want a better deal for workers but it doesn't explain how. I know you you may have felt very stirred, particularly by the early uh, presentations of Sally McManus. I'll tell you this, the CFMBU, when they've been fined, they've been fined for taking industrial action. Illegal industrial action. Might be illegal industrial action according to our current laws and our current laws are wrong. It shouldn't be so hard for workers in our country to be able to take industrial action when they need to. Quite often, these workers have stopped work because a worker's been killed on a building site. And know this, that union gets fined more than the companies that actually kill workers. 
the secretary of the ACTU and the, you know, the thing about permission to go on strike in Australia is about as difficult as getting out of gym membership. And also in Australia, you can't do a so-called solidarity strike. Like you can't go out in support, you know, those in, in, in another sector. I mean, it's ridiculous should you support trade unions? Why should you? And, you know, I mean, I know for a lot of you, like, especially if you're in insecure work, you know, you've got a so-called, you know, how they how they call it on the, on the you know, the Ladies Make Money podcasts and, and shows, they call it a side gig. Uh, fucking side gig? My life is side gigs, right? No, it's, it's my labour. But so for a lot of you, like, actually joining a union, and this is true, might be too expensive right? Because, you know, especially if you're joining under kind of, you know, freelance or or contract conditions, the fees can be $20 a week. And, you know, maybe $20 a week doesn't mean a lot to you, but it might mean a lot to you, right? It's just, and if $20 a week means nothing to you, fucking good. I'm, I want a world where $20 a week means uh, means nothing. So, okay, why should you march? Why should you support a union? Why should you go to a union-led May Day event, right? I, I get some email from you fuckers from time to time. Again, never message me on Facebook or Twitter because I never log in due to aforementioned tendency to argue forever about nothing. And so, yes, there there is a social media carer I have appointed to prevent me from breaking in. Please always email me at helen at badhostess.com. And I usually, you know, I've, you know, I give uneven answers over time, but I mean, usually what I will say is join your, your union and then antagonise your union if you're a Marxist and make your union be truly representative of, of, of your needs and of your comrades and ask your union what they intend to do about the very fucking future of work of a highly financialized state as we have here in Australia, our so-called economic growth, which very few people get, get to enjoy, is, is so dependent on the capital generated by banks, largely through, through private household debt, credit cards, most of it, mortgages. And you, you might have heard of this thing, guys, called the global financial crisis. So, you know, that anybody is scandalised by the behaviour of banks at the, the current Royal Commission in Australia. I mean, yes, you know, they seem to have done some extraordinary things and there's some standout, heartbreaking stories of cruelty. But again, it is not about the personal vice of individuals. It is not about a few bad apples. It is not just about better corporate governance. There can be, in my view, which I entirely borrowed from Marx, no good corporate governance. There can be no genuinely good corporation. It's it's just not possible where, you know, the democracy of the corporation is entirely contingent on, on how many, you know, shares one, one owns. How is that fucking fair? You know, and why is everyone listening to Elon Musk? I mean, very, very good with your inventions and what have you. But if you say you're really not interested in accumulating wealth, then, you know, fucking collectivise your whole SpaceX Tesla deal, mate. You know, not that that would change the world, but it'd be a good example. But, you know, these are the sorts of questions that, 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 you know, at one time unions would grapple with 
How are you going to make it through? How are you going to support the the people that you love slash family? How will you do something like flourish in this world? And they don't ask those questions anymore. There might be a few good people who do, but there's a reason that union membership is currently so low in Australia. And we were really once a union nation. Our union membership rates are lower than any other OECD nation. It's like one of the posh ones. It's less than 15% of Australian workers. Okay, the upside of that is if you are in a union and you don't communicate with them or you're yet to join a union, when you do communicate with them, eventually they have to listen because no one's joining. You know, no one's, okay, there are you know, a few people in permanent roles whose lives can still be transformed or, or aided by unions. And I would certainly say that if you have a, a permanent part-time or um, a, a full-time permanent position that you're a mug if you don't belong to a union because in those cases you can be helped out if, you know, you're unfairly dismissed and, you know, they'll have representation, someone on your side. You know, they do eventually have to listen to you. And if you have something to say, say it. Think about what you want to say and think about all of those conditions that lead to your complaint. You know, don't just say, I don't feel appreciated at work. Try to think why that is, how that manifests, how you feel estranged, the way in which you're remunerated and all of that. And then sort of try to think about that in in terms of power and how you serve it. And that's where, you know, again, the old Marx guy, I don't think he's a god, I just think he's fucking useful, can be a help. Our biggest employment sector or our second biggest employment sector, possibly biggest youth employment sector, is retail here in Australia. Still the case in many Western nations. And so you guys have the sh- the shoppies, the SDA. You know, really, they seem to be run by a bunch of fucks. And uh, they're fucks who make deals in the interest of their own political power. Many people will critique the SDA and many people in the, the labour movement will. <laughs> you know, are unions functioning much, much better than, than the, the SDA here in Australia? Well, well if they were, then they would have more than 15% membership. I mean, you, of course, there's been so much done to ruin them. I include, you know, myself here because I'm fucking nearly half a century old, right? And what have I done to embolden the left for much of my adult life? What have I done except to ask my my union for help when it's needed? It, it's only been, you know, very re- recent times that I've started um, talking to people, uh, uh, you, you know, attempting to communicate, you know, outside the context of my professional media work. You know, find and, and talk about ways to to take action and to leverage our collective power. And so, like many people for the for the last 30 years, because I, I grew up, like I became an adult in the age of neoliberalism, you know, the age where Marxism in the West became a poison word and, you know, considered as no more than fantasy because, oh, my God, look, you know, capitalism, it's the only way and any critic of, of capitalism is, is clearly an idiot. And so, you know, if you consider yourself part of the left, then you have a responsibility to rebuild that consciousness back into the trade union movement, which is the only 
thing that we have at the moment. There may be other forms of organisation at the moment is the fucking trade union movement. They say it's our movement. So, yes, it's our movement. Let's remind them of that. Let's remind them not to campaign for the ALP but campaign for us. Let's not blithely support their political careers. Oh, Kearney, she was in the ACTU. She must be great. Unions have their own elite. Whatever they say, whatever McManus has said, the ALP never overturned the damage done by the Howard government's work choices. So many of you labour in complete insecurity. You don't know what you're going to make tomorrow. You can't afford to care reasonably for yourself or for your children because there's this power structure which permits one tiny class to own the means of our survival, the means of our broad expression. The financial sector, especially in Australia, continues to grow rich, writing numerical fiction, inventing money. Marx wrote about all of this stuff. And if we read him, we could perhaps remind our unions that they owe a legacy to Marx and that he wasn't in this and we are not in this to make a few legal adjustments and to ask for a slightly better deal for our sector. But no, fucking demand a better deal for everyone. Demand a better deal for the textile workers of of so-called global south. Demand a better deal for everyone. I mean, can you fucking sleep at night knowing that a slave made your clothes? Well, you know, I can, but only medicated. First, reveal to yourself hidden power. Remind your union to stand against this power and remind them what that power looks like and not just say, I want a tiny rise in the minimum wage, which will in any case be immediately consumed by other powerful institutions. We are in the union movement or we are thinking about joining the union movement because the union movement can no longer at this juncture be about gradual reform, which has actually been a gradual disaster and a gradual case of workers giving up rights, feeling more estranged from each other, less interested in anything. But the union is is one site where our voices are supposed to be fucking heard. And if your delegate doesn't want to hear you, keep shouting at them anyway. Tell them that, no, that you see power openly, even if they want to pretend that it is hidden, even in their own organisations. Tell them that you want a different world for all because this one isn't working. Teddy Marks and I have probably talked enough, e-fucking-enough. I won't bang on to you anymore if you uh, promise to stop appeasing social media with meaningful uh, phrases about empowerment. Yes, let's take over our unions who must represent us as they claim to or hold on to the filaments of their power with such a tight and mean grip that eventually the hypocrisy oozes from their false fist of solidarity and and then me and her and him and you and them and every single person who finds everyday survival a struggle and a bore sees all power once hidden carried openly into the future and we seize it for fucking all.
Yeah, I've got some other notes here, but like seriously, you know, you, shall I go on about the estrangement of Labor and how much Liberals shit me? Look, hey, Marxy, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. If you've got this far, congratulations. I, oh, God, I hope at least you got a laugh. 